There are times that you feel like you've already heard the sermon, right? I just so appreciate the music and the prayers and the scripture reading. You know, I'm one of those people who um, likes to read the end of the book before I'm finished. Um, I also, when there's a real nail-biting game, you know, the score is really close, football or baseball, I hope I have taped it because I like to watch the end so I can kind of relax. There's, I'm just someone who doesn't like surprises. I'm more comfortable with the known. I like to know the end so that I can enjoy the journey. For me, knowing how the story ends, my favorite characters will be saved, the good guys will win, allows me to follow along. What is cool about God is that he has already shown us the end. Just in case you don't know it, we as Christians, and this is a spoiler alert, in Revelations, God has already shown us the good guy win. Can we say amen? Amen. What is interesting is we see the end of story. Every tongue and tribe and nation will worship the king. The Jews thought they knew the end of the story. Imagine living in the first century. You were occupied by an enemy force, the Romans, these Gentiles. Each year you celebrated Hanukkah in memory of the last time you defend, defeated a, a Gentile oppressor. God has promised the Messiah, and for years you have dreamed of a time when the Messiah would come and heal Israel, and Israel would be restored, and all people would be joined by joining with Israel, God's people. You think you know the end of the story, you anticipate the end of the story, and then your dream was hung from a cross and now lies buried in a tomb. And sometimes our dreams have to die so that God can do something completely new. God has far greater things. And today we're going to look at some of them. Let's just pray. If for nothing else, my benefit. Father, just give us your wisdom, your spirit, as we look at your word and look at how you unfolded your plan in such a way that everyone had to say, it's God's idea. Amen. We already know the end of the story, right? Revelations, we just read it. People from every tongue and tribe and people will worship the Lamb. But for a Jew in the first century, it was unimaginable to envision a people of God so diverse. But unlike me, God likes surprises. He likes doing things that are humanly impossible. And we see those surprises unfold in Acts. Today we'll look how that unfolds in two parts. First, we're going to look at the incorporation of some unlikely Jews. And then we'll look at the unlikely incorporation of the Gentiles. Each of these has three stories. And finally, we'll look at the church's response. But don't worry. We aren't going to do Dr. Keener's four-volume encyclopedia version of Acts. We would be here till Friday. Well, actually, probably Thanksgiving. <laughs> Since we only have 20 minutes, I'm going to do the Twitter version of Acts. Hashtag God's idea. <laughs> but I need your help. 
I want to do somewhat of a reader response, and since I don't have PowerPoint, we're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. When I ask you whose idea, you'll respond, God's idea. Are you ready? Let's try it. we got to warm up here. Ready? Whose idea? All right, this is going to work. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll start first how, how God surprises those followers of Jesus by incorporating unlikely Jews, at least differently than they thought, these immigrant, hashtag immigrant others. Imagine with me, you're part of that first 120 believers in the upper, upper room. Your emotions have been up and down, the triumphal entry on Sunday and your Savior on a cross on Friday, and then the resurrection. And now you're waiting for something. You don't know what, but you're told to wait and pray. You aren't sure, but you're waiting for what God is going to do next. And then all of a sudden, in fire and wind, the Spirit comes upon you and you are speaking, but it's not one language that is being heard, but the languages of the people throughout the Roman Empire. Luke says... Jews from every nation in heaven heard in their own language. Three times it's emphasized that it's not a common language, but each person hears in their own language. People marvel, saying, how is it that we each of us hears in our own language? How is it that we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue? The miracle of Pentecost was not a reversal of Babel as everyone so that everyone spoke the same language, but rather that everyone heard the same message in their own language. The miracle of the church is not that everyone becomes a part of the same ethnic group, but that everyone has the same identity in Christ, marked with the Spirit, but lived out in their own ethno-linguistic identity. Rather than eliminating cultural and linguistic differences, the church began by accentuating those cultural differences. The spirit became the new identity marker expressed in each person's culture and language. From the very beginning, the church was culturally and linguistically diverse, one but not the same. Whose idea? idea. That's right, and 3,000 were added to their number. Let's pause in our story here. Think about it. Many times God's idea is not our ideas, but this story is about us. It's our story. Everyone in this room, we all trace our spiritual heritage to this moment at Pentecost. We are siblings with the same heritage, the same story. And we express it through our ethnicity, gender, and language. The first story was incorporating these immigrant Jews. The second story of incorporating unlikely Jews is hashtag the hated other, the Samaritans. I think every culture has their cultural half-brother, cultural half-sister. You know, it's those people are somewhat like us, but different, either historically, north and south, maybe politically, Democrat and Republican. It's been interesting for me to be here in the south and to watch how political campaigners other their opponent. The ads I've watched is if you want to other the opponent, you call them a liberal. As in those liberals in Washington are to blame for destroying our way of life. For many, it's immigrant groups. 
who are taking away our jobs. As a Californian, the political campaigns, the other are you conservatives for holding that progress. We all have our cultural other. The Jews, the Samaritans, were their cultural other, hated, and by the way, it was mutual, despised. But in Acts 8, we find Philip proclaiming Christ to the Samaritans, and they were believing and coming to Christ. And when the Jerusalem church heard this, they had to send Peter and John. Perhaps it's their skepticism that their cultural other had become one of them. As Peter and John placed their hands on them, they too, these Samaritans, received the same spirit as the Jews, and the other became the we. Whose idea? And at 825 in confirmation, Peter and John returned proclaiming the gospel in many Samaritan villages. The third story Luke writes is about the unlikely Jew, the marginal other. In Acts 8, unlike the other two stories, Luke highlights God's involvement at each stage of the story. The story begins with Philip, an Ethiopian eunuch, traveling back from Jerusalem after worshiping there. Here is a foreigner who desired to be a part of the kingdom of people of God, but he was a Gentile, a eunuch. As an Ethiopian, he is both ethnically and geographically dis- distant from the Jews, but it is his identity as a eunuch that is highlighted in this passage. He is the marginal other. He lives on the margins of both Greco-Roman and Jewish society. He would, by Jewish law, never be allowed to participate fully in temple worship. We all have marginal others living among us. They are the invisible, the excluded from participation in mainstream society, the elderly, the homeless, the foster children, the addicts, perhaps your neighbor next door. And yet the Lord orchestrates his inclusion. God cares about the marginal other and will go to a great extent to reach them. In our story, in the midst of a successful ministry, the Lord calls Philip to do the unexpected. The Lord says, Philip, go south to the road, the deserted road. I'm like, really? A deserted road? Whose idea? Then Lord directs Philip, go to that chariot and stay with it. And it just so happens that the eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, which talks about the lamb. Whose idea? Philip explains the passage and the eunuch believes and is baptized and continues on his way rejoicing. We don't know the end of that story. We don't know the impact on the Jerusalem church. But here's what I do know. Can you imagine? Can you imagine him traveling, continuing to read Isaiah? And he comes to Isaiah 56, 3 through 4, which says, Let no foreigner who's bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let not any eunuch who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, hold fast to my covenant to them. I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name. Can you imagine that unit who has sought God for so long, reading those lines and going, that's me. God wrote those for me. And for all eternity, God knew that this unit would be included in his people, this marginal other. 
Whose idea? As Luke wraps that section of incorporating unlikely Jews, and we turn to the section of now the unlikely incorporation of the Gentiles. Think about it. Here are the people who are the enemies, the oppressors, the ultimate other. It is here that we see the greatest use of the Spirit, that God in his wisdom, the Spirit has to show each step of the way for the inclusion of the Gentiles. And once again, there's three stories that brings this about. We find that it is here that the Spirit has to breathe the bridge. The first story is hashtag unlikely messenger to the Gentiles, Saul. We are introduced to Saul who's breathing threats against his fellow Jews who are following Jesus. Here's a man who is so zealous to protect his ethnic boundaries, he's willing to put his own people and persecute his own people and put them to death. Here is a man least likely to become a follower of Jesus, let alone one who embraces the Gentiles becoming the people of God. Imagine, if you will, perhaps someone like the leader of ISIS in our time. But it is here again that God, Luke demonstrates God's hand. The first scene, Saul is on the way to persecute the followers of Jesus. And you all know the Lord appears to him and changes his direction of his life forever. Whose idea? And Saul waits in blindness and the Lord appears to Ananias. Can you imagine? Ananias, I got this guy. Wait a minute, Lord, do you know who he is? Uh, let me remind you, in case you have forgotten, he's the guy who's persecuting us. <laughs> and the Lord tells Ananias, isn't that cool? It's like, no, he's going to be my messenger. First person who knows what's going to happen, Paul. Ananias goes and tells Saul and then prays for Saul. Whose idea? Saul's idea. And Ananias prays for Saul. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and becomes a member of the people he has persecuted. Whose idea? True peace doesn't come when we defeat our enemies, but comes when our enemies become one of us. After the conversion of this messenger to the Gentiles, we have the conversion of an unlikely Gentile, Cornelius. According to Aaron Kruger in his dissertation, it's this section that Acts is most concentrated with the use of the Spirit because it's an ethnic boundary that is hardest to bridge. Once again, Luke writes the account where it's obvious that God's hand is involved. The first scene opens, Cornelius, a God-fearer, is praying when the angel appears to him and tells him to go to Joppa and meet Simon. Whose idea? God's idea. The next scene, while that's happening, Peter's on the roof, and he's having the vision of the three sheets, right? You all remember, unclean, nothing, don't call anything unclean. Whose idea? idea? In that moment, here he comes. Next scene, we have Peter arrives at Cornelius' house and realizes he's supposed to preach the gospel. Imagine Peter's surprise as the same spirit that fell upon the Jews now falls upon Cornelius and his household. Whose idea? And Peter responds, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? For they have received the spirit just as we have. Whose idea? The fourth scene is one of my favorites. You know, Peter goes back to Jerusalem and he's met by the church, and the church is like, excuse my Southern Californian here, since we're ethnically, dude, 
what were you doing hanging with those Gentiles? In other words, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. And so Peter explains what happened. Cornelius saw a vision. I saw a vision. Lord led me in the house. The Spirit came upon them. And Peter says, basically, dudes, if you have a problem with it, go see God. You know? No. So if God gave them the same gift to believe in the Lord Jesus, who is I to think I oppose God? It's not my idea. Whose idea? God's idea. And when they had no further objections, the highlight of Acts is this. So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Whose idea? Snuck that one up on you. Um, the third story is the incorporation and the unlikely missionary journey. Once again, Luke is very clear that it is God who initiates it. They're worshiping the church of Antioch, and God says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. Whose idea? Acts 13:4. And so the two of them were, went on their way by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whose idea? And throughout the journey, Luke highlights for us the work of the Spirit and the mission to the Gentiles. In Pathos, Paul is filled with the Spirit and confronts a sorcerer in Pisidian Antioch. People are coming to the Lord and filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. In Iconium, they speak boldly and they were able to do miraculous signs and wonders. In Lystra, there was a healing of a lame man from birth, reminiscent of Acts 3. The mission of, to the Gentiles has the same marks of the Spirit as the mission to the Jews. Whose idea? And when they returned and reported all that God had done, the response was they learned how God had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Whose idea? It's undeniable that the idea that we would be the same one, but not the same, is not our idea. The idea of multiculturalism is not a political agenda. It's been God's agenda from the very start of the church. That we would be one in the spirit, but express it through our ethnic and linguistic diversity. It's not our idea. It's God's idea. For us, we know the end that every tongue and tribe and nation will be worshiping the Lord. And I suggest that there are three responses to this multicultural, multilingual, multi-ethnic people of God. First is a rejection of it. One of the responses at Pentecost was, when they saw this phenomena, was that they're drunk with wine. Right? It's, this, you know, it's not of God. We read throughout the book of Acts, people who rejected what God was doing, who persecuted the church, who wanted to maintain their vision for the people of God, one based on ethnicity and territory. In order to maintain their privilege, they had to persecute and hate the other. Yet Acts shows us that in the people of God, there is no place for the other. Jesus said our, to love our enemy, and Acts shows us that true peace when the other, our enemy, becomes us. This is only true through the Holy Spirit 
who does not make us the same, but makes us one. There is no place for the other in the people of God. Whose idea? The second is we can accept the other if they become like us. I think many of us fit into this category. We welcome you as long as you speak our language or assimilate to our customs, sing our songs. Racism is just not about othering people. In its more subtle form, it is wanting and expecting people to become like us. The Judaizers were a form of this. The backlash against immigrants in our own country is perhaps a version of this. Another form of this is we welcome people into our community, our church, and even appreciate their culture and language as long as it's separate from ours. And we can still sing our own songs and speak our own language. Perhaps this is what happened in Acts 6 when the Hellenist widows were being neglected. Studies have shown that only 12% of American congregations are even moderately diverse. North American congregations are not alone in this. Cross-cultural friendships, to be honest, are really difficult because we both have to change. It's much easier just to keep friends who share the same language and culture. However, but God has not called us to be the same. He has called us to be one in all our ethno-linguistic diversity. Whose idea? And finally, the third response we see in Acts was an embracing of what God was doing and then intentionally participating. Over and over again, we see that God shattered the disciples' cultural expectation of the people of God, and they embraced what God was doing and intentionally participated. When the Hellenist widows were being neglected, they did an amazing thing. They turned to the Hellenists and said, pick seven of your people and they'll take care of the widows. Just the Hellenist widows? Uh-uh all of the widows. They turned the whole ministry over to them. When Peter and John saw what God was doing in Samaria, they returned to Jerusalem and they preached in Samarian villages. When Saul was transformed from enemy to brother, they accepted him and later Barnabas sought him out. When they, some thought that people must become Jews to belong to the people of God. They listened as God spoke about what God had done and listened to Barnabas and Saul. Jerusalem Council made a decision that the people of God would now be identified by the Spirit and not by circumcision. Oneness did not mean sameness, that there are no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile. However, Jew and Gentile would worship, worship the Lord in their ethno-linguistic identity because it wasn't their idea. Whose idea? God's idea. So what about us? We often think of the Kingdom Conference as a time to talk about the world over there, out there, cross boundaries, but here's the deal. Over there is sitting right next to you. Cross-cultural is right across the aisle. We here have a unique opportunity to reflect the future where God, we will have people from everywhere, every language, every ethnicity worshiping together. We can choose to ignore, we can choose to accept it, or we can choose to embrace it and intentionally participate in it. We can reach out to those who are traditional enemies, 
to those who are on margins of society, we can embrace and learn from those who are radically different than ourselves. If we don't do it here, how will we be able to do it in the future ministries God has called us to? We know the end of the story. There is no other, there's only we. Through the Spirit, we become one to join together with every people of every tongue and tribe and nation worshiping the Lamb. It's not our idea. Whose idea? God's idea. Amen.